Welcome to Marketing Demystified, the podcast that connects the dots for business leaders to drive revenue through effective marketing strategy. We chat with marketing experts on different topics that will help you ramp up your revenue. We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platforms. Marketing Demystified, the podcast, is presented to you by GrowGetter, your partner in growth marketing. And here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. Are you ready to be inspired, informed, and empowered with actionable tips to transform your marketing game? You're in the right place. Welcome to Marketing Demystified. I'm your host, Jen Mancusi, CEO and co-founder of GrowGetter, your growth marketing partner. Um, I know there's plenty of execs out there who are struggling to uh, prove the value of marketing success, but it really is possible. Um, today's guest, Ali Jawin, has a mission to demystify the processes that drive marketing success and deliver quantifiable results, which is what everybody is after, right? Um, Ali is SVP Head of Global Marketing at Outreach, a sales execution platform that helps market-facing teams efficiently create and predictably close more pipelines. So really excited to hear her thoughts and tips on this topic. Topic. Welcome to the show, Allie. Hi, it is so great to be here. So good to have you. Um, thank you so much for joining today. Um, I want to jump right in because this is one of my favorite topics and I know everyone listening in is going to be so excited to hear your thoughts. Um, so maybe we can just kick off with what do you think are some of the biggest like myths or maybe misconceptions around what it takes to succeed in marketing today? It's so it's such a great question because I feel like it has changed so much even in you know the decade plus that I've been practicing marketing and I feel like what it used to be was I suppose the more traditional brand experiences uh, you know share a voice whereas I feel like now we are expected to be true business partners but what that means is that we have to have a full understanding of the business and we have to go beyond MQL conversions and pipeline we're really being asked to contribute to revenue and not just fluff metrics, but actual metrics. And I think a big misconception out there is that it's not possible. And while I always have, you know, sort of two caveats that I don't think you can ever really fully capture the benefit of field marketing and PR, anything else you can or you can get really close and with the right technology, some grit, and you know, I suppose a bit of an emotional journey as well, you absolutely can do that. There are the platforms, but it does take some elbow grease and a change of thinking to get there. Yeah, absolutely. I think your point about like being expected to be a, a real partner to the business right now is so true. And you know, oh, years ago, I had a, a, a CEO who kind of was helping me. Uh, plan out a, a marketing strategy I was going to present to the rest of the exec team. And one of the things he said to me that stuck with me all these years was like, you don't have anything in here that's speaking to the CFO. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're so right. Like this needs to not just be thinking, like you said, MQL pipeline, but actually like efficiency and like all of the financial metrics that also have a factor in marketing that maybe I wasn't thinking about organically. Yeah, there were so I remember the at a previous company when I was, you know, I'd been an exec for a little while, but not very long. And we had a new CEO and essentially came in and said, you need to all own a PL and you're all responsible, you know, towards contributing towards the EBITDA number. 
And in every monthly business review, you are going to walk through your PL. And I realized I was not ready for this conversation. So absolutely no joke. I went on Amazon and got Finance for Dummies. Uh-huh. <laughs> read that because actually first I went on LinkedIn Learning, found some views, uh, but it was already way over my head. Uh, these were finance people that were so into finance. It was finance. And I was like, oh, no, I got to start at the absolute beginning. So I read uh, Corporate Finance for Dummies, cover to cover, read it again, still reference it. But I had to learn the metrics that they wanted to hear. And the positive part of that was after I did, and again, like I'm always still learning or getting more comfortable. And even when I was learning uh, EBITDA, I remember trying to tell my husband, I was like, I will worry about how to pronounce, you know, amortization once I actually know what it means (laughs) to get there. Uh, But once I did, I was just able to show up in a completely different way, not just to the CFO, but to the board. And that company was a private equity company. And knowing how to translate the metrics that I was looking at into the metrics that they cared about just completely up-leveled my game and just gave, you know, I think if marketers want a seat at the table and, you know, one of my uh, mentors and uh, is my mind, the patron saint of marketing, Latine Khanan at Sixth Sense, you know, she'll often say, you know, she'll talk about the incredibly shrinking CMO. Our roles are going to keep on getting reduced and reduced unless we can show up as true business partners. Yeah, that's so true. So true. And I think like, because there are so many marketing metrics that we can track, like finding the ones that actually the business really cares about is so critical because otherwise you'll be presenting things that nobody is interested in. And and that's to your point, the incredible shrinking CMO, like people are going to struggle to to keep their jobs, which they do already, you know, if they're not thinking more broadly about the business. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think one of the, whether this is a good or a bad thing could be debated, but marketing absolutely has to advocate for the work that marketing is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, I was talking with another exec recently who's like, we haven't made any changes to the website. And then I realized, shame on me, we absolutely have they just weren't as visible to the naked eye. Either they were back end issues for technical SEO or, you know, the banners now floating or we reduced the forms, things that you might not know. You know, it's not like a huge overhaul, but these are things that we saw that were, you know, improving conversion rates by, let's say, 3%. A 3% conversion rate on request demo is really, really important. And it is up to me as the leader to make sure that we are marketing, marketing internally so that people know the decisions we're making, why we're making them, and that, you know, we're not just in the corner room with like our coloring books and crayons. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and and maybe to that point, I mean, we're talking a lot about metrics, but there is a lot of, you know, creativity and maybe a bit of coloring every once in a while that uh, comes into play with marketing. Like, how do you, what's the right balance between art and science when it comes to building and then measuring the impact of that effective marketing strategy? Yeah, I think it is such a good question because, and I hate to do the dreaded answer, it depends, Uh, but I do think it is a different answer for different areas of marketing. So across every part of marketing, uh, a principle that I believe in and often have be a theme of the year is becoming a brand that people want to spend time with. And the reason I say that is, you know, prospects, customers, they don't owe us anything. They don't owe us their time. They don't owe us their attention. And so if we're trying to educate the market with a boring white paper, they're not going to read it just because we want them to. Mm. They need to read it because it's fun for them. 
And so what is fun is something that is definitely more of the art, uh, that it has to look entertaining. It has to look engaging. It has to be fun. It has to sound like your customer sounds and it has to appeal to your customer. And that's where it's definitely art. Even so, then there's still the science part of A-B testing that, you know, we'll test two fun creatives and you'd still even have to test that. So I remember, uh, you know, at my first company, I was absolutely shocked. We were doing some testing on the website and our marketing engineer said, you know, I'm just going to put a bolder uh, highlight around the call to action button. And we're like, yeah, waste of time, whatever. Just by bolding it, we saw like a 1.3 conversion lift. And again, those can translate. That took two seconds. So even when it's an art, you can absolutely still test it. But yes, you sort of have to go with that inclination. The filter always being what is, yeah, what is fun? What are people going to want to do? But then I also do have very different standards for different teams. So my growth marketing team, uh, that is the content team under the growth team, SEO, they are solely tied to revenue. That SEO growth, the content team focus on SEO under growth, that is all science. Whereas the content team in product marketing, that's definitely more art. Yes, there'll be some science in terms of we're going to look at engagement rates, we're going to look at eventual contribution to revenue, pipeline as leading indicator, but it doesn't have the same pressure as it does on my growth team. Also just being very honest with your teams about how much art and science and where they are in that spectrum, I think just clears it up for everyone. Yeah. Well, I think I totally agree with that. Like just that agreement ahead of time of what are you measuring and what are you being measured against? Like as long as everybody's on the same page, there it can be some flexibility where some things are more art and some things are more science. But um, I want to like dig in a little bit to what you said about the content team under growth that is focused on SEO, that that is directly tied to revenue. Um, like music to my ears, first of all, but I get this question a lot from people saying like, I don't understand how SEO is going to help me grow my revenue. Um, so what, like, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how do you connect those two things together? Yeah. So there, you know, I think, first of all, the most important thing that I think everyone knows this about SEO, but then wonders if it's true. So everyone, like I'm giving you permission <laughs> that this is the truth. Uh, it takes forever. If you make one change to your website now, it will take Google six months to even start to reward you on that. But the investment pays off for the long term. Uh, I actually earlier in my career worked at a outreach competitor and we really focused on SEO there. That company is an ankle biter today, cannot, you know, nowhere near the same uh, span as outreach. And yet they still have better organic traffic because of SEO investments made 10 years ago. That is the long staying power, but it is a long game. And to get buy-in, one thing I always make sure that the rest of the C-suite knows is, first of all, I lead off with the why. It is the cheapest long-term solution. It converts higher. Once it's there, it's there forever. There's no variable dollars put behind it. Yes, you have to pay for the people and the research to put the content there, but then it's free and it works for you forever. So that's, all, you know, I always make sure that people understand why we're doing it, why the focus, and then constantly remind everyone where we are on the clock. So for example, I've only been at Outreach not even six months. So we haven't even started to see any SEO improvements that have been made. 
And so one, I think just constantly, constantly reminding people of that. But then how do, how do you tie it to revenue or how do you prove it? I think the first thing is that you need a plan. You need an SEO plan that goes way beyond just looking for keywords to rank. That's not not part of the exercise. It absolutely is. But I think it's more about finding the right long tail keywords or what are the themes that you're going to focus on, then creating a content plan from those themes while taking into account uh, the keywords and the audiences that you're going after. But then at the very end of the day, none of that will make a difference if all of your data systems aren't integrated and you don't have a platform that is looking at everything and tying it to revenue. If you don't have that, then nothing's going to get off the table. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, if you don't, if you're not tracking the results, even though yes, the sort of big lift might take a long time, there are leading indicators oh, yeah. that happen very quickly yeah. sometimes, where you can say, "Starting to work. Be patient. Look at this. We're getting there. We're getting there." Um, but I think what you said about you know it being broader than just keywords. The reality, I mean, we see this all the time. Like search behavior changes and the people, the language that people use is changes. So the keywords themselves may change over time, but that longer plan of like the content, the themes, the, you know, the audiences is such a, such a key component yeah. of that. Yeah. You know, what do they care about and who are we talking to? And you know, I think one of the lessons that I have to often educate the rest of the suicide on is, you know, I sort of call it the Google monster and that it is, Google's world and, you know, we all just live in it, which, you know, that's a whole other ethical, you know, conversation, but at least in terms of uh, search and performance media, it is true. And that you can't game it. Google is going to know what is good and what isn't. And again, perhaps another like ethical moral quandary that Google gets to decide what good content is. But at the end of the day, Google's going to know if people enjoyed it by how long they spent on it. Did they click? Did they scroll? And there is no amount of gaming keywords or optimizing that is going to make up for people enjoying the content. If it's boring, you will get penalized. Uh, you know, at previous companies, everyone wanted to put something on the blog. And I had to have some hotter conversations where this is actually going to hurt our SEO because it's boring. Google's not going to know what you're talking about. And, you know, not always the most fun. And thankfully, not, not that many people actually want to sit down and write blog posts. But yeah, just, you know, that there is an arbiter of good and the rest doesn't matter if people aren't going to enjoy the content. You can, yeah, even if it's not SEO optimized, if it is good about a topic that's solving a problem, Google will, will reward that more. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it just gets harder and harder to game the system. You used to be able to, right? Oh, yeah, you could start, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Stuff the keywords into a, into a blog post and it was good. But every time Google releases a new algorithm or a new change, it, it's they're really looking for quality content and original content, which is yeah. which is really important. Yeah, and um, that you know the algorithm could have changed during this conversation. <laughs> probably did. <laughs> we'll look into it. We'll let you guys know if there was any yeah. major changes while we were talking. Um, so you know, kind of going back to you know some of these metrics, and maybe this is different by team and by function or by business as well. But like, what are some of the key metrics that um, you think every marketer should be tracking to quantify and, you know, actually prove their success? So there is no making up for tying things to revenue. At the end of the day, that is the end all and be all of if it worked and if it didn't work. But that is too long 
unless you're SMB and you have very fast sales cycles, you can't wait that long, especially if you're dealing with enterprise with sales cycles that are a year and more. So I'd say that the metric that I really use as a gut check is pipeline. Uh, and I'm going to use pipeline with an asterisk. When I say pipeline, I mean the AE has said, yes, this is real. I'm going to work on it. There, you know, there's a pain that I can solve for. There is a path to power. And you know, th this, this fits with everything. So that's what I look at as a leading indicator. Again, not everything's going to close, but you know, if you know your conversion rates that, you know, let's say about 25 of our open ops are going to close, that can give you a good indication. So yeah, I'd say revenue, then pipeline as leading indicator. And then I'd say for everything, everything else, it really depends by the team for my growth team that, uh, so my growth team is split into sort of two main categories. We call them the builders and the optimizers. The builders are responsible for all of our SEO content. They're responsible for the website, digital ad, performance marketing. And then we have the optimizers. Uh, and that is people who are dedicated to a specific part of the funnel. So optimizing what the builders did for acquisition for our new logo, activation for people who are just in the platform, and then our monetization team for renewals and upsells. So the metrics for them are always, you know, very, pretty clear and easy. So leading indicators for the website team, of course, we'll look at traffic and conversions. You know, we'll look at that weekly and monthly for the performance uh, at, you know, thankfully, you know, all of the platforms tend to come in with pretty good reporting. Uh, but I like to look at things through an account level. So, you know, account click through rate, account view through rate. So you're really making sure that you're measuring the accounts that you care about as opposed to just traffic for traffic's sake. And then for like all of the optimizers, we sort of done the math that what is the conversion rate that they need to move through the funnel for us to hit our revenue goals. So that side of the house is, you know, pretty easy. And, you know, to our earlier point, like that's the very sciencey side with the, you know, product marketing and other fields. It is a little bit harder, but I do have my product marketing team tied to business segments. So we have product marketers who are solely focused on commercial product marketers who are solely measured on enterprise and then those on you know special strategic accounts. And they're going to be tied to, again, pipeline conversion rates and ARR conversion rates. Uh, and as I sort of wrap up my ramble, at the end of the day, the metrics I think that really matter are the ones I don't. Yes, we'll look at conversion rates. We'll look at, you know, leads internally, but I don't talk about that outside of marketing. Good leading indicators, but I don't talk about metrics to sales or really anyone else unless they're shared metrics. I'm a big believer that sales and marketing have to have the same metrics. Otherwise, we're never going to be on the same side. We're always going to be fighting on each other. I could go on a whole rant about the MQL. So the only metrics, though, that I will report to sales in a broader community is pipeline and revenue because those we own together. Yeah, I think that's such an important point that there are shared metrics and then there's metrics that marketing needs to be looking at to do a better job, but nobody else needs to know that you care about this specific little thing, right? Like that's just the stuff that we need to do better. But um, I could also go on a rant about the MQL. I'm very anti MQL, SQL, um, but I love the concept of shared metrics. And I think it's it's so important, such good advice to any marketer out there. Like, don't share every metric that you have with everybody in your business, just the ones that are that you have a shared interest in that, 
you know, I've heard this feedback, you know, over the years of like, well, marketing could just present whatever like metric looks the best at that moment. Um, and that is true. I mean, you could very easily just pick the one that happens to be performing well that week and present that. But if it's not the the shared metric that the business or the other department or other leaders care about, then it's going to be lost on them. Yeah, when I started at a previous company, you know, I came in and the relationship between sales and marketing was really toxic. And you know, I've seen, you know, it, you know, we're always, you know, like siblings, you know, there's always, you know, sometimes some friendly attention, but like this was bad. And when it, actually it wasn't that hard to find out what the cause was. The cause was because marketing was not only measured on MQLs, but marketing got to say what an MQL was. Mm -hmm. And marketing had said that an MQL was basically anytime anyone did anything. So you go to the website, you've MQL'd, you open an email, you've MQL'd. And so the marketing team was doing things like, for a webinar, they would send five reminder emails because anytime someone would open the email, they'd get an MQL. And you know, there they would be doing their happy dance and sales, their eye rolls were doing <laughs> eye rolls because uh, marketing was like, okay, now it's your problem. Whereas when I changed that to pipeline and really said like, listen guys, we can't be successful unless you're successful. We just completely changed the dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is part of the challenge that marketing as a whole has is there is no standard definition of an MQL. So every business or team or whatever has to come up with it on their own, but doing it in isolation, you're going to create a problem. And I've said this before, if marketing and sales, this is my problem with MQL SQL, if marketing and sales have different definitions of a qualified lead, there's a big problem. And so even though having those two as separate stages in the funnel, I'm not a fan of like yeah. it's qualified lead and we're in agreement on what that means for the business. Otherwise, nobody's going to succeed. Yeah, that was uh, when I started outreach. Uh, Kevin Bogner, our SVP of sales, started, uh, you know, just maybe a month before I did. And I think one of the in our very first meeting, we were like, we have got to toss out this marketing source versus sales source because it's it, not only is it not productive, but it's also, you know, how are you even going to measure that? So, you know, there could be so many examples. Let's say, you know, it's an SDR prospecting. You know, they've received eight emails. They're curious. They go to the website, request a demo. But under so many models, that counts as marketing sourced. However, if sales hadn't been doing that work, they wouldn't have gotten to the website in the first place. And then, you know, when I started outreach, you know, a bunch of people in my network reached out saying, hey, we're looking, you know, for a new solution. Can you intro us to someone? course, I was thrilled to do it. And that would have come in as sales source as opposed to, you know, me posting on LinkedIn about my new job. And at the end of the day, who cares? We right. got the right person in and that's all that should matter. And I think that was, you know, one of the ways, you know, that Kevin and I were really able to build trust with each other's orgs as well was that we're, you know, we don't care. We're all on the same team. We all want to win. And there is I, a true believer that, again, unless you have a really, really short sales cycle and you're more direct to consumer, there is going to be no opportunity or deal that is closed without both sales and marketing. You know, it's certainly not going to be without sales because marketing, we're not picking up the phone and qualifying uh, and doing discovery. That's absolutely sales. And, you know, I know what the rates are for cold calls. It's not sales just cold calling. There has to be awareness ahead of time. It's like, let's just acknowledge it and stop fighting for credit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm 100% I'm with you on that one. <laughs> 
Um, I think things are getting better. I think, you know, I've been hearing more and more stories of marketing and sales sort of being more on the same team than maybe they were a few years ago. So that's that's a positive. Um, Now, what are some key strategies or even tools that you might recommend for optimizing campaigns within your marketing org? Uh, So I say the first thing is it almost doesn't matter what tools you have if they're not connected. And I say that because there are so many, you have so many marketing systems. You'll have your marketing automation platform sending emails. You'll have your Google ads, your LinkedIn ads, your Facebook ads. You'll have your chat bot, you, things I'm even for, like not even thinking about right now, your website data. And if that all lives in silos, it's useless. So mm. the first thing you really need to make sure is that all of your data is connecting. And very often that will require some engineering work, whether you need to borrow one from your BI team or actually, you know, at Outreach, we have an engineer within the marketing org to do this. But first, you have to make sure that you're getting all of your data in, that you have that data pipeline and also that you're maintaining it. Because anytime you make any type of change, there are going to be downstream implications. So I say like that is the most important one that you need. But then I say the other one is you need an aggregator of type. You need something that's going to take all of that data and then show you what's working, what's not, what's driving pipeline by a channel, by a campaign level, uh, especially on the performance side, because you're going to spend so much money on ads. You're going to need to be able to show what's moving the needle. And you know, there are a lot of them out there. I've used Caliber Mind. I've used Full Circle. I've used Visible. Uh, so, you know, I think they're all great. They all do things. But it's even more important than having one of those is what you're feeding into it. And that is hard. It is messy. It's, I think, a newer way of looking at marketing. And it is a lot more technical. But without it, you're not getting the whole entire story. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people struggle to pull that data all into one place. And there's always like, I find uh, like one missing piece like people use a great CRM and have everything going in and it's like, ah, it's tracking digital really well, but it's not tracking offline sources very well. And then, you know, you move something over here and it's like, ah, well, that doesn't really pass through the way I want it to. So, I mean, it sounds like you're like, you've got people that can really help you with this, like engineers and BI teams, like a lot of businesses, smaller businesses probably don't have those resources. Um, But it's so important to try to get close and like, I agree, like kind of getting all that data connected. Yeah, and I would say I've worked at previous companies where you know, I think it was a little bit easier because the tech stack was a bit smaller and the businesses mm-hmm. weren't as complex. But, you know, in a previous role, we had, you know, HubSpot as our map, Salesforce as our CRM. And, you know, I didn't definitely I had uh, RevOps resources, but I did not have engineering resources. And thankfully, a lot of the platforms are meant for marketers to you so that you don't need that. It's only when you, I say you're getting into multiple business units or, you know, you want to start using Amplitude to track it. Like it depends how granular you want to get or you're able to get. But like even a team without those resources, you can do between like API connectors, you can get pretty far on your own. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you're right. If you don't have as complex of a tech stack, then it is a little bit easier to to bring all that stuff together. Um, maybe a little like side question, like what are your thoughts on the sort of uh, the changes in how data gets tracked in digital spaces coming, maybe happening already this year with cookie lists and um, already not being able to track apps in the same way? You know, how are you thinking about um, 
how that changes your data collection and optimization. Yeah. I don't know if this just makes you like incredibly cynical or whatnot, but I, in my experience, what I saw, you know, with at least, you know, my hot take, uh, take with a massive grain of salt, uh, but at least what I saw with GDPR to me feels like what's probably going to continue to happen, which is, you know, regulators, by the time they've come up with the idea, by the time it's passed, all the tech companies have already figured out a way to get around it or to make it toothless. And I just have, I would not be shocked if like, yes, there are going to be some best, there are going to be some rules that we'll have to follow. But because the pace at which legislation is made and the fact that, and I don't think this is a good thing, that so much legislation is made by people who don't understand tech, that the platforms are essentially going to find a way around them anyway. I could be proven wrong, but I at least feel thus far that, yeah, I mean, for the AI laws being passed in the EU, that's looking at AI as it was a year, you know, nearly a year ago. It has changed so much. So, you know, TBD and again, famous last words, but yeah, I, I would not be shocked if by the time any of this is actually enforceable, there were workarounds. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And I and I feel like, you know, this sort of like the data we have access to or don't have access to, it changes all the time anyways. So this feels like a big one because of all of the noise being made about it. But we'll see what happens yeah. when it actually happens. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, just keeping eyes on it. But yeah, so far, my performance marketers are... Yeah, they have a lot of confidence that, you know, the a lot of these vendors are, you know, in the same way that account-based platforms found a way around GDPR, I think something similar is going to happen for better or worse. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I hope that's the case. <laughs> um, so how important is it for companies to, or marketing teams to stay on top of sort of marketing trends and what's hot right now versus tried and true strategies? Yeah. So I wish I could remember who said this because uh, it was super, super smart. And I say this all the time. So whoever you're out there, I'm. this is your phrase, my apologies. Uh, but that there are going to be two types of jobs in the futures. One where the machines tell you what to do and the others where you tell the machines what to do and which do you think is going to pay better. So that just that really, really resonated with me. And that was way before AI. We're talking about something I heard 10 years ago. So I do think that marketing absolutely needs to be constantly growing and learning because if you don't, you are going to get left behind. And even just since I started my career, the advances in technology are so like the, yeah, the way we market is just so different in such a short amount of time. You know, at this point, I think almost everyone needs to have some type of ops background to understand how things connect. That being said, there are also trends where you know, just like any fad, is it really going to stick? Is it really worth putting my time and effort into? So one barometer I sort of look at that is that I'm a member of a bunch of different communities. Uh, probably my favorite marketing one is CMO Coffee Talk, uh, sponsored by Six Cents. I go every Friday and it's, you know, just for CMOs and it's sharing best practices, questions, what's coming up. So that's often a very good place for, I would say, a gut check. Is this something that I think is just a fad? Is it going to be sticking? How are other CMOs thinking about it? I'd say, you know, for example, AI. Everyone is hearing about AI. And I think there are people who are being really smart about it, people who are probably not being as smart about it, and people who aren't sure what to do. So I'm getting my team uh, AI training. We actually have our prep session later this afternoon. 
It's uh, with Nicole Leffler, uh, a CMO who I brought in to train uh, previous teams on AI specifically for marketing. And the reason why I think it's going to be worth our while, or I know it will be, is that she's going to spend time with each of my sort of core groups, see how they work, what they're doing, what their priorities are. And then she's going to come back in two weeks and share how we can be more efficient, how we can work faster with AI specifically. So I think as long as you're looking through things, you know, one that have some community support, but also being really specific in how you're going to use something. You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but you also don't want to be stuck behind. So I think always being open to new ideas, but one is this sort of getting traction. And then, you know, when you try anything new, just making sure you're being really smart, like limited, and then rolling something out, testing it, seeing how it works, because we can only handle so much change at one time. And there's already so much change going on. So yeah, I, that's how I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, good way to think about it. Like stay on top of what's happening, experiment when it feels like it might have some legs. I think one thing that you said that was really interesting and, and I'm of the same mind, like having an ops background actually is really important in marketing today because it doesn't really matter what you do. If you do the tried and true strategy or the new thing, if you don't know how to see if it's working, <laughs> then it doesn't almost doesn't matter. And um, I think about like studying marketing at, in college 20 years ago, and I was studying very different topics, like nothing that I do today did I learn in, in college because it didn't exist yet. And that's going to be the case with marketing. It's constantly evolving. Um, so being able to measure it and track it is actually more important than, you know, the thing that you're doing. If you think about uh, lead routing and nurturing, you know, lead, lead routing, it's not, you know, the big, most exciting thing. But if you don't get the leads to the right people at the right time, know who they are so you can add them to the right campaigns. Like the rest doesn't even matter. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Um, okay. So um, speaking of, you know, sort of some of the more technical side of things, like uh, what is the role um, in your experience of marketing automation in all of this? Yeah. I mean, it is table stakes. Uh, sorry, table stakes these days. Mm -hmm. If you don't have it, like, I don't even know where you would start. Uh, it's more than just sending emails. I say it's, or ideally, it's the centralized hub. I've worked with, I'd say, you know, I've done, I've worked with HubSpot, Marketo, Pardot, uh, all have their pros and their cons, uh, similarities and differences. But you do need a sort of central hub to organize your information, who people are, how we look at them. Yeah, I really consider it sort of the brain. That being said, you need to treat it well. It needs to have clean data. I mean, clean to the extent that anything's ever truly clean. It needs to work with your other systems. You need to make it work for you because if it's just sort of haphazard, no one's maintaining it. No one's on top of data quality. No one's paying attention on how it's not just integrated into other systems, but how is it talking to them? What's the sync like between Salesforce and Marketo? or whatever you're using. So again, it's table stakes, but I'm still surprised by how many organizations don't invest in setting it up to its highest potential or maintaining its data because these systems are so advanced. If you're using them well, you can get so much value out of them, especially a really, really robust one like a Marketo. But yeah, I'm just always, I'm very often surprised by how many people like will buy these huge platforms 
that utilize like 5% and maybe not even that 5% terribly well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's really with any piece of marketing tech, honestly, like, I mean, the CRM is probably the biggest offender or, or, or the automation platform, but um, we've seen this with other, other systems as well, where we've had to actually do uh, in, in a past life, we, we kind of did a, a roadmap for like, hey, we feel like we're only using like 20% of this, you know, I think it was Drift at the time, like chat functionality, conversational functionality. And it's like, we need a roadmap of like, how are we going to maximize our use of this piece of tech? But, you know, in, in the context of marketing automation platform, like how do, how do teams avoid some of those, yeah. like, you know, missteps? How do you uh, make sure that your data is clean and it's being set up properly? And what resources do you recommend? Okay, well, first of all, I if anyone wants to make this TV show, I would absolutely watch it. Uh, you know, either chatbots gone wild or you know, <laughs> chatbots on spring break, chatbots gone wrong. Uh, I, I have seen some really hilarious ones. Uh, if anyone out there in the world wants to make a TV show about this, uh, I think you would have a dedicated group of marketers who would watch that uh, compulsively. I mean, no, I mean, one, it is making sure that you have the right platform for your organization versus what's the most trendy. So at a previous company, we had HubSpot. And at first I was a little like, Ugh, it's for SMB, it doesn't do everything. Uh, but our CFO at the time was the CFO that took HubSpot public. So we were staying there and you know, CFO and you know, CMOs had to be besties. So I wasn't gonna pick that fight, but I was actually really, really happy that we went there because it was a very like lean, mean team and we had to do a lot of our own ops work. It was a very small ops team. HubSpot was great for that because yes, it couldn't do everything, but everything you needed to do, anyone could do it. So my content team, set up their own emails. You know, maybe we would lean on marketing ops to, you know, make a master list just to make sure that like that one was set up and maybe do a customer list. But after that, they could go in, they could create their own templates, they could do their own emails, they could add the list, they could sync to Salesforce. It was so user friendly and intuitive. So that was absolutely right for us. At, market, at Outreach, we need a lot more. It's a larger business. There are a lot more moving parts. So that's an area where a more robust platform, we use Marketo, is really right for us. And as a larger company, we do have the right team to staff it. So I think, yeah, making sure that you have, you know, getting Marketo when you're a tiny team with one person is not going to make sense versus, you know, a much larger company, if you're going to have something more like HubSpot, you have the people, so you don't need that usability as much. So I think, yeah, making sure that you have the right thing for your business is a big one. And then I think also the person, you know, who quote unquote owns it, whether it's marketing ops or rev ops, it's a personality type, or I think there are two traits that are really needed. Uh, one, they have to be fearless. They have to not be afraid to like dig in and see where the bodies are hidden. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite ops leaders uh, has this quote, uh, everything I've learned has been against my own will. Because uh, you just kept on finding so many uh, crazy things. But you need to have someone, uh, you know, a, you need a dog with a bone, someone who is going to like get in there and not get frustrated that there are blockers. You, it's, you really need that determination. But also you need someone who can play nicely with others because your system needs to work with your BI team. It's going to need to work with Snowflake, Tableau. It's going to need to work with sales ops, with Salesforce. So really making sure that you have the person or people who are ready 
unafraid to dive in and find out what they're going to find and then have the has have the EQ to work with their business partners to get those changes made. Yeah. I, yeah, I think you're right. And finding the right person or people to own the, the automation platform is so critical. And, and I think one thing I've seen happen that creates a problem is the owner is like a senior leader of a, of a team, right? Who's focused on a lot of different things and only focuses a portion of their time on the CRM or on the automation platform. And that, that can create some problems. But I think, I think it might be because of what you're saying, like it's got to integrate with these other systems. And if it breaks, it's a big problem and you need to be able to talk to other teams and systems and stuff like that. Um, But that's not necessarily a good formula either is, you know, that the head of marketing or the head of customer should not own the, the, the tech itself. Yeah. There's gotta be, you know, I'm at least, you know, in my philosophy, it's, someone who lives and breathes this, that they're going to know it better than anyone else, that they can just go in, you know, and it's often not a senior, uh, or it's not often the most senior person, very often, you know, it's a manager, senior manager, maybe director. Uh, but that, if you go much higher than that for like owner, owner, uh, you know, it'll probably roll up into a senior director or VP. But yeah, there has to be someone who just lives and breathes it and loves it. And it's almost, uh, I'm a native New Yorker, so I don't drive, but I imagine it's like, uh, you know, people with old antique sports cars where like no one else can touch it, but like th- they know every sound it makes, they know every clink. Uh, that's how I sort of think uh, the person who owns your marketing automation platform should be. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, make sure they're doing a good job of documenting. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. oh, yes, yes, yes. So that when they move on or, or whatever, that you're not left with... Uh a system that nobody understands because that, uh, that'd be another TV show that I would watch. <laughs> we, we would need wine for that. Like, you know, confessionals of, you know, undercover maps. Absolutely. Absolutely. If there's too many, you know, sort of secrets hidden, then it's tough to to pass yeah. that along to like, another. If person. you press that, you think this would happen, but because of how we've MacGyvered on the back end, that's actually going to happen. Right. And good luck finding those yeah. that code, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for joining today. This was such a great conversation and uh, I feel like we need to have more conversations. So I hope we get to do that soon. But um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing a little bit about your strategy and your teams and your focus and uh, all the success that you're having so far. Absolutely. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for listening in. Um, I will be back with another episode next week um, and I will see you then.